0: Happy, happy Valentine's Eve. Don't you think this would make great, great <laughs> gifts to your beloved? Don't you think it would be just a great, wonderful gift to your beloved? Um, the way this will work is that uh, Muriel and Sally will come out. Um, they'll read a little bit and discuss, so uh, it should be um, an amazing, amazing time. We're very happy to have a Sally Wen Mao here. Um, Sally uh, Wenmao is the author of a previous poetry collection, Mad Honey Symposium. She has received fellowships from the New York Public Library, Coleman Center, the George Washington University, and Kundiman. The book is made possible through a partnership with the College of St. Benedict and honors the legacy of S. Mariella Gable, a distinguished teacher at the college. Um, And Muriel Leung is from Queens, New York, her writing can be found or is forthcoming in the uh, Collegist, a fairy tale review, ghost proposal, Jellyfish Magazine, Inner Rupture, and others. She is a recipient of a Kundiman Fellowship and is a regular contributor to the Bloodjet Writing Hour. Bloodjet Writing Hour poetry podcast. She also edits poetry for Apogee Journal. Currently she's pursuing her PhD in creative writing and literature at USC. Please welcome them both, Sally and Muriel.
1: Um, Thank you so much for having us both. Obviously, it's an incredible honor to be talking with Sally today. Sally and I have been friends for a while. Um, I always debate about which anecdote to share about Sally. (laughs) But um, the first time I actually interviewed Sally was um, many years ago for her first book um, at Honey Symposium. As you can see that there is a really great track record of really amazing covers um, coming from Sally. Um and I just remembered that like one of my one of the, the first times I knew that like I love Sally was when um we were in this interview and we were talking about poetics and then I don't even remember the context of it but all of a sudden Sally was just like yeah and so I just decided to go to Greece and then there were these handsome men feeding me grapes and I was just like I don't even remember what the context of (laughs) I was just like this is amazing I love you (laughs) Um, and so I think the spirit of that moves through her work Um, and (laughs) and, um, so I was thinking about what to read in honor of um, Sally today and I wanted to read this um just excerpts of this essay a really old essay about um, women of color friendships I think that's mm. some some of the things I wanted to talk about today with her and, and, and oculus <coughs> the impossibility of hyphen universes forgive me I did not know how fast you were decomposing should not have left grammar up to chance first mistake The second, not knowing how to reconcile a body that can somersault through the universe at once whole and a person divided. Though you make mistakes too. When you were eight, your grandmother brought home 10 mangoes in a wooden box and let you eat six of them in one sitting. When she brought you to school the next day, you pretended you could not understand her when she spoke to you in a dialect that reminded you of vowels crashing together like falling wind chimes. She clubbed your face in front of a dozen red-faced children, and you felt you deserved it. The slap was a brilliant call to order, because up until that moment, you were a set of floating halves, and your tongue always managed to betray you. There was a lesson in that, I think, you recounted sometime during our college years. The last word formed a tiny hill in the air. We were always swapping stories on your bed, or my bed, or by the 7-Eleven cherry slushy machine. Because we were always between one point and another, we liked the comfort of fixed places. Maybe that is why for us, airports feel so much like portals of impossibility. Airports present themselves as fixed fixed places in which planes of varying origin and destination points come and go. They have the appearance of fixity, but this is what they leave out the loss that had housed itself in your body from the many times you stood at either ends of the security checkpoint, watching someone you love eventually merge with the vanishing point until they disappeared altogether. The day we brought your husband to the airport and stood together watching him undo his shoelaces and then place his thick boots in oversized bins with the slowness you two had practiced and promised each other, you turned to me and said, Airports are the loneliest places in the world. But it was not always that way. Once you confused love for the taste of Toblerone bars because that was what your father brought home with him from airport shops. These were terrible chocolates, too hard for a child's teeth, and shaped with too many odd corners to bite off with one mouthful. Yet they arrived with your father's tobacco chin and leather jacket and you felt the necessity of flight course through you. What we mean when we talk about inheritance is this, the immigrant otherwise known as a body that is constantly arriving becomes an agent of history. You were the product of war and I was hapless with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. We were born anyway of variant circumstances to and away from. Perhaps that was why the night your father let you sleep in his bed, you asked him about the time he tried to swim from mainland China to Hong Kong during the Cultural Revolution. You wanted to know what it felt like to be caught by the bright lights flashing from armed guards, to be sent away to a labor camp where every day his boot broke soil. While he kept his back turned to you, his silence pricked the air and you never asked him again any more questions about that particular time in his life. In a way, this is an example of how falling apart precedes childhood. It is as if every time we revisit our respective lineages, we find a new way to articulate our origins or how we come to inherit the gene for breaking. Before your father there was mine, and before him my grandfather swam too, quickly and with the cold air whipping his back. Sarah Ahmed writes in Queer Phenomenology, in the face of what appears, we must ask what disappears, which makes our current predicament seem like a terrible magician act. At our parents' insistence, we decided to be better against all measures. You stopped skipping school and made honor roll. I chased my brother up and down Utopia Parkway the fifth time he ran away from home and bought him Burger King and put him to bed. You translated report cards and teacher comments for your parents during school conferences. I stopped dating white boys and started studying harder in school. You got into graduate school and got married to a man in that order. I told my mother I was writing a book about us and our history. Together we stacked our goals up high and they became bragging rights for our families during gatherings. We had all the makings of an absolute whole. Still at night sometimes we are aware that gradually we have become more whole than flesh. It is a way in which I grapple with another naked body whispering, stranger, stranger, all the while dreaming of an imperfect history. I never told you this because I was afraid that on the other side of this planet you were fashioning a similar lie. I should have known that you too are scaling the damp sheets and seeing ghosts. We told ourselves that we would never let anyone make us feel the kind of lonely we did not want to feel. I watched you substitute sex for all your versions of storm. You conflated body with rage and you threw yourself against a wall. You said you wanted to know what it would feel like to break yourself into a million pieces instead of someone else breaking you and then telling you what it would be like to be a million pieces. This you would do again and again until all three storms quelled in your heart. Now we are here again, and I am threaded together, but barely, and you are describing the sensation of your mouth drifting away from you with rapid, flailing hands. I know you are terrified of this new language, I am too. I want to talk about how we lose, the durability of other words that mean enough. I want to know that liberation is possible without the captivity of others. There goes your set of teeth, your bunion, the whites of your hair, Goodbye ghost rib and all the bodies, vacant lots. Let's be honest, you never had any use for these parts anyway. Start over, begin again, the universe folds in twos, the universe folds in threes.
2: Thank you so much, Mirio, that was amazing. Um, Thank you all for being here. I feel very lucky to be here. Um, and thank you for going out in the rain and <laughs> to, to come here. Um, I, I, I'll start with reading, um, reading a poem called Occidentalism. A man celebrates erstwhile conquests, his book locked in a silo, still in print. I scribble make sharpie lines deface its text like it defaces me outside grain fields whisper marble lions are silent yet silver-tongued with excellent teeth in this life i have worshipped so many lies then i workshop them make them better An East India Company, an opium trade, a war, a treaty, a concession, an occupation, a man parting the veil, covering a woman's face, his nails prying her lips open. I love the fragility of a porcelain bowl. How easy it is to shatter like the Han Dynasty urn Ai Weiwei dropped in 1995. If only recovering the silenced history is as simple as smashing its container. Book, bowl, celadon spoon. Such objects cross borders the way our bodies never could. Instead, we're left with history, its blonde dust. That bowl is unbreakable. All its ghosts still shudder through us like small breaths. The tome of hegemony lives on, circulates in our libraries, in our bloodstreams. One day a girl like me may come across it on a shelf, pick it up, read about all the ways her body is a thing. And I won't be there to protect her, to cross the text out and say, go ahead, rewrite this. Um, So this book. This book. A, a, a large portion of this book um, is about, or um, contains, persona poems um, from the perspective of Anna May Wong, who is an LA native. So I figured I would read a few of these poems. The Toll of the Sea, um, and this is the first uh, film that she starred in, and it was one of the. It was. It was also one of the first films to, um, to have a technicolor uh, screen. So the two colors in the film were red and green, um, and then also black and white. And also it was uh, a retelling of Madame Butterfly, The Toll of the Sea. Green means go, so run, now. Green, the color of the siren sea, whose favors are a mortgage upon the soul. Red means stop before the cliffs jag downward. Red, the color of the shore that welcomes. White, the color of the man washed ashore. From his shirt to his pants to his brittle shoes. White, the color of the screen before technicolor. White, the color of the master narrative. Green, the color of the ocean. So kind, not leaving a stain on the white shirt. Green, the color of the girl. So kind, but why? She speaks, alone in my garden, I heard the cry of wind and wave. In the green girl's garden, the stranger clamps her, asks, how would you like to go to America? A lie soaked in the red of the choke cherries that turn brown in the heat, red the color of the roses that spy, red the color of their fake marriage, white the color of the white man's frown. She asks, is it great lark or great sparrow you call those good times in America? Green, the color of his departure. White, the color of the counterfeit letters she sends to herself. White, the color of their son. White, the color of erasure. Red, the color of the lost footage. Red, the sea that swallows our stories. Red, the color of the girl who believed the roses. Red, the color of the ocean that drowns the girl. Red, the color of the final restoration. In every story, there is a technicolor screen. Black, white, red, green. In every story, there is a chance to restore the color. If we recover the flotsam, can we rewrite the script? Alone in a stranger's garden, I run. I forge a desert with my own arms. Blue, the color of our recovered narrative. Blue, the color of the siren's sea which refuses to keep a white shirt spotless. Blue, the color of our reclaimed Pacific. Blue, the ocean that drowns the liars. Blue, the shore where the girl keeps living. There she rises on the opposite shore. There she awakens, prismatic, childless, free. Shorn of the story that keeps her kneeling. Blue is the opposite of sacrifice. Um, and I will read this poem. It's called, um, so, so the, the series of poems with Anna Mae Wong, I imagine her um, with a time machine. So she was a Hollywood actress from the 1920s. That was kind of her heyday. And, um, and I imagine how she would respond to films that kind of come out after, after she dies. Um, so this poem is called Anna Mae Wong Has Breakfast at Tiffany's. In Santa Monica, the sunrise has this way of emptying everything inside you. I visit my future deathbed. It's February 1961, and I watch myself sleep. Dawn, outside my window, date palms sway, and lovers in blue Corvettes make their morning getaways. There will never be another breakfast. I die of a heart attack. Perhaps the night never pauses its seesaws. Perhaps I resign myself. Holly, go lightly. I can't go lightly. I must face my fates. Deception, despair, death. Because being seen has a different meaning to someone with my face. There will never be another breakfast. The French toast sits untouched with the blackberries. So I speed up time, reckless, toward a world where I don't exist. Eight months later, Audrey Hepburn walks down Fifth Avenue in a black Givenchy. This is the role I'd have died for. This is love, reciprocated. Beside her, Mickey Rooney plays Yunyoshi, another tapeworm-eyed uncle with a limp. And I yawn at another generation of white men in yellow face. Before him, Roland Winters, Sidney Toller, Warner Oland. There is applause for them. The laughter is constant. I have played their daughters, their pretty but untrustworthy incarnates. There's no second generation for actors like me, but I've often pined for them, my progeny. Girls with tar black widow's peaks, who stumble across spotlights and purple tights, taught to be meek. Girls who inherit my warnings, victories, and failures, too. But for these girls, there will never be breakfast. I will travel through all time, searching for them. Um, so let's see. I can't, I guess I'll read this poem. Um, so another person I kind of discovered in my research is uh Afa Moy, who was the first uh Chinese woman to ever come to the US. And and this happened in 1834, and um basically a couple of brothers who were merchants um wanted to wanted to sell these objects that they were importing from Canton and um like a lot of like oriental things and and they thought one way to market this would be to bring over um a real live chinese lady so so she, so they so they found the daughter um uh, they found somebody's daughter i think she was 19 and they they brought her over to new york and they displayed her with a bunch of objects um uh, and kind of like this glass window and people came in and paid to, paid admission to see her and, and they would just have her sit there eating, eating, um, eating with chopsticks, like eating rice with chopsticks or like playing with an abacus and it's, it, yeah, it's really bizarre. Okay, um, the diary of Afong Moy, number eight park place, Manhattan, November 1834. The merchant brothers who brought me here, Freddie and Nate, knew I'd make it rain for them. In their eyes, I was a hothouse flower, a goddess of dollar signs. They decorated me with precious imports, baubles, yellow pantalettes, damasks, They they placed me in a diorama of snuff boxes and silk. I was a breathing mannequin on my brocade throne. I couldn't believe how many people paid to see me. Banknotes dropped, jawbones dropped, and it was truly unnerving to watch the white people stare at me, mouths twitching in awe or pity or both. The men looked at my little feet, the women at my regalia. They wanted to see my they wanted to see my feet uncovered. Can you believe the nerve? The podiatrists, the reporters, begged for a glimpse. At the men, I snickered. At the women, I smiled. They swooned, blushed, as if they swallowed peppercorns. Their corsets were killing them. Heavens, a grotesquerie, their spines all crooked and their skeletons. I raised my brows, ensconced in my civilized box. I counted the days with my abacus. look. I was fucking bored. Was I the animal here, or were they? On my throne in lonely New York, I presaged my own descent. It started with a tongue, English, that curled its way into my mouth. They called me the celestial princess. I wanted them to bow down, so they did. They fell at my feet in penance or worship, a vernissage of my ancestor across my face a slap um okay maybe I will fast forward um I'll switch it up a little bit it's like kind of depressing (laughs) um let's see um okay um so, this poem is called oculus it's it's the second title poem um in the collection it's like it's like the only poem that's like kind of not depressing <laughs> um in in this oh okay maybe maybe not the only one but um so 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 um this is the last poem I kind of snuck into my book before i i sent it the final version to my editor um um, because I I wanted I I wanted to kind of address the multiple definitions of Oculus. So so Oculus is I in Latin, but also it has you know connotations of technology. You think of like VR, Oculus VR, and it also has um, um, the defin- the architectural definition of of the window, this window on top of a dome. Into the sky, um, and I had I had no poem that kind of addressed this architectural definition, so I, I wanted to r- write something about that because um, because my first Oculus poem in the book kind of addresses the eye and the gaze and also and also the camera the eye of the camera, um, so sorry this is like a lot of sorry, but um, my friend so I have a uh, my friend Angela Flournoy went uh, like um, while we were together at the Coleman Center, she, she, she got tickets to see Solange at um, the Guggenheim one day, and, and I just ended up going with her and she said that there was like a, a dress code we were all supposed to wear head to toe white and, um, and then we went that day and, and I, was, I, I, I wanted to write a poem about that because there's that famous oculus inside of the Guggenheim um, and as I was writing the poem I kind of it kind of occurred to me to like research this this oculus and it turns out um that the that that very place that the the Guggenheim is the very place that is the most photographed place in the world um like according to like google satellites or whatever (laughs) and I was like that's crazy because like my first oculus is like kind of about the camera so anyway sorry it's a lot of stuff, anyway, um, Oculus, after Solange and old 2. May, pale peonies on the sills, from the steps of the New York Public Library we hailed a taxi uptown, past the lions, past patience, past fortitude, to the Guggenheim where we sat, Lotus style, wearing head to toe white with a sea of others, They checked our phones and cameras at the door, all of us, a cloud condensing into ourselves, our forms, all city, all air, all sugar, all brown, all gold, have a seat. This is a cause for celebration. In many places in the world, it could have been a funeral. She appeared and she sang, descending down the spirals, the golden nautilus, Past the skeletal Giacomates, past the Duchamps, past the Modiglianis, <laughs> under <laughs> the centripetal glass, a single layer in the interior. None of our names were there. But our bodies, there they were. The most photographed place on earth was where we sat without cameras, except our eyes and our faces. It was spring. I was still hopeful. In my chest, what beat was cracked, but still salvageable. Cherry petals strewing my shoulders, a whir. Cranes in the sky, cranes threaded on my dress. Golden tubas warbled as she danced. We looked up, and there was a skylight, a dome, the oculus at the center through which all fears still burned and awed. Um, And I will just read one more poem, and then we can kind of segue into conversation. Um, Like, I'm trying to decide, like, between robots and Pokemon. And, (laughs) like, um, maybe, maybe I'll read this poem, because you mentioned that you liked it <laughs> um, because it's, 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 it it's I guess it's like va- like somebody mentioned Valentine's Day and I was like, okay, I'll read this like Valentine poem. <laughs> um, the five faces of Faye Valentine after Cowboy Bebop. Sorry, I, I tricked you there. <laughs> One, her battle face is indistinguishable from her poker face. No savant dares to romance a face like that. Eyebrows smirk, her mouth a lawless husk. Master swindlers beware. She will one-up with you with a flawless faint. A fugitive wind shrouds her name, her debt. There's a bounty on her swagger. Two, girl, orphanage, accident, cry- cryogenic sleep. Black dog serenades arouse her from tides. She doesn't recognize the child on the Beta tapes. Purple hair, white ribbons tying her features together. Jupiter jazz crows her childhood. Sleep until the earth disappears. Three, woman, always running, always running out of fuel, always straddling a slow horse, red tail, stranded in space with an unloaded pistol this is what night imagined when it imagined a feral woman jaw open and swiping windward loose claw less sigh than scowl the last civet in the universe gnashes her teeth against the glass Four, questioning. Is there mercy for a mercenary out there in the writhing galaxy where jetties disappear into harbors drained of antimatter? Bounty hunters lurk in the undertow. Evening, larks afoot. Five, conquest. Here's her blackjack. Her torn jacket, her din, her turn, her ammunition, her departure, unrecognizable cities rise from empty shadows, husks for drones. see you space cowboy screams the Callisto moon on nights when the wind strips the highway bare, only the stars hunt her down. Thank you. Um,
1: that was amazing. <laughs> uh I there's so many questions in my mind and I, I feel like um I feel like there are some that may you may have already been asked before, but I think the the first obvious questions because you read anime Wong poems, and then you mm-hmm. also read um, a poem about Afong Moi. Mm-hmm. Um I know you earlier today you were talking about how actually you wrote the anime Wong poems before you did um, mm-hmm. intensive research at the Coleman yeah. Center, where that's when you discovered Afong mm-hmm. Moy. So could you talk a little bit about um, just like. The research that you've done around these like, historical Asian American women figures and what drew you to them enough that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like what drew you. you to these figures and how did it
2: become a poetic project for you? Well, um, I guess I first kind of encountered Anna Mae Wong in an exhibition. I think it was mm-hmm. it was the Museum of the Chinese in America in New York. There was this kind of image of her like a photo and then i think i think someone had written a dramatic monologue in her voice and i was listening to it so i so i did some internet research on her i looked i looked on wikipedia and then i went <laughs> down the rabbit hole and then i um i read a biography of her and it like it was really fascinating to me because um she because she was in such a unique position, like, um, there was no real Asian American movie stars until her, and, and not many since, right, so I, I was really interested in her subjectivity, because, because she was such a freak in, in every sense of the word, like, she was born in L.A., but she'd never been to China until maybe her 30s, her early 30s, and, and I thought it was interesting because she had like there was that pressure because she chose to be an actress there was that pressure to always or that expectation to always represent like China, but she'd never been there so i I, I, I just I just thought her story was so interesting but i I wanted when I started writing the poems I just really imagined like you know like what what can I do what what, what can I do beyond writing a persona poem? What can I do beyond writing, just rewriting something that's already out there, like in her biography? And I just so I thought like with poems, you know, you could do whatever you want. So um, so I just I, I just started writing the Time Machine poems. And and um and yeah most of those poems were completed by the time I got to the New York Public Library. So I was in a fellowship there where it was kind of like a research and writing fellowship and you had access to the archives. So once I got to the library, I found a folder, you know, I found a fo- whole folder with um, clippings about Anna Mae Wong and, and, and you know, these are super old clippings and they were like decaying as I was mm-hmm. <laughs> flipping through them. Um, but, you know, I like, I, I just like it was there was this rush, you know, I, I felt like more connected because it was, it was kind of like, um, the, the, the decaying, (laughs) um, obit is right there in front of me. And, and with Afon Moy, I think I just read about her at some point and I decided, um, that was, that, that I discovered at the library and I did more research on her. And, um, and then upstairs I found a broadside that, um, that included an inventory of all the things that she was displayed with and also it was an advertisement for 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 her show or for that show mm-hmm. so um it was really fascinating for me to to see um kind of the the primary um documentation there
1: Yeah, and I think for for both of these figures who have really rich lives, and there's also this, like, there's, like, a swarm of, like, social-political context Mm -hmm. with these two figures. I I mean, I think this is, like, a lot of things that, like, writers struggle with all the time. It's, like, you do all this research, especially Mm -hmm. archival research. How does it become, at what point does it become poetry right Mm -hmm. and at what point did you decide like oh it has to be a persona poem this is Mm -hmm. this is the only form that can that Mm -hmm. this I can embody this in Mm -hmm. I have to list these objects Mm -hmm. Um, these are important to the poem Mm -hmm. Um, how do you decide um, how to translate that research into Mm -hmm. poetry
2: yeah um, well with I I think I talked a little bit about the anime Wong poems and how I wanted to just do whatever I want with that, and 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 have her be in a time machine and just kind of imagine how she would have reacted. And and with her, it was it was kind of a different process because I um, there's a lot of material out there about her. So there's um you know there's firsthand uh, first person uh, things that she wrote. Uh, she was a columnist. Uh, uh, some point for newspaper, so so her voice is already kind of out there and circulating, and I felt like um, it was possible to to write in persona but but what would make it more interesting is if I introduce something like impossible essentially um, with uh, amoy that i I really deliberately wanted to write persona poems because every record that exists about her is written from the perspective of somebody looking at her or somebody consuming her or somebody you know like paying to look like to see her as like this object um this exhibition and and there were no accounts from her perspective, like she was barely quoted, even though she had a translator with her um for most of her tour it It just seemed like everything that was out there like there, she she had no voice literally so so I wanted to write in persona so that uh, to to kind of imagine how like what her what her perspective would have been because I mean. I mean, she might have been this like curious um like specimen from from China um to to the people who were like looking at her, but but you know, I was trying to imagine how how like America looked to her, you know, like how 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 strange and absurd um you know, like America could be as a spectacle too. So, um so I I tried to be really deliberate with with you know u- uh, using persona because I think it's not it's it, it, it's it's hard sometimes to kind of justify writing in persona because I think there there are ethics when it comes to um you know trying to write from somebody else's perspective that's not your own yeah,
1: I mean, I think that's definitely the case, and I think what makes it especially interesting, like this idea of spectacle, like that's so much of like that's what Oculus like mm-hmm. is. There's like about the looking and being looked at, and then rarely do like, especially when it comes to like Asian women, like mm-hmm. the agency of Asian Asian women, like there's rarely a t- discussion of what it means to look for them to look back for us to look back. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you highlighted these particular figures and you also highlighted other Asian women um, who are not historical figures but who have just like entered into your life in some other ways and they also talk back. Um, so it, i I want I, I, I know that like we um uh, earlier today I was like I was just like I just really want to talk about like vengeance and Asian <laughs> and like being Asian women and <laughs> what does that mean? It's like, and I wouldn't say that like like the the like um voice necessarily is vengeful per se but mm-hmm. i do think there is a talking back that feels mm-hmm. like unex like that like the general like white reader wouldn't think is like like asian women don't do that mm-hmm. um what is it about the kind of voice you want to embody and where what is it specific about what's so specific about like vengefulness and like mm-hmm. asian women and
2: talking back that feels particularly important to you mm-hmm. in this book i think like like maybe in my experience you um growing up asian like 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 asian american as an asian american woman it's like um a lot of a lot of shit gets repressed right mm-hmm. <laughs> like like you're kind of taught to i don't know be like put on this like polite and like like acceptable um face and I think I think uh, in in some Asian cultures it's very that's very important like having a face like Mm -hmm. putting on a face or like losing face is like the worst thing that you could do to your family um at Mm -hmm. least you know that's that's for me I'm not speaking for everybody but Mm -hmm. um but but yeah so I feel like in a way a lot gets repressed and I think especially like anger right especially when you feel this sense of injustice what do you do um you 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 have to kind of swallow it like um the first poem I read Occidentalism is kind of based on this experience I had I I was in the library and I saw a book on the shelf called The East the West and sex a history of erotic encounters and I was like holy shit oh no <laughs> no right and then I like I like pulled it out and I, I like started reading it and it was like just disgusting it was like this like white man like justifying like all this like colonial conquest of like Asian women's bodies and like I, like it was like written in this very lurid way and um and and then I got I got, I was so disturbed that I, like, borrowed it, and then I, like, wrote a Goodreads <laughs> review of it. Um, and it was, like, a really angry Goodreads <laughs> review. It was, like, and, and, and I didn't, like, I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even express my anger in, like, so so instead of doing that, I, I just, like, wrote, like, I, I just copied a whole bunch of quotations and just put them on my review. And then, like like like, a couple years later, like, some person created an, an account on Goodreads and, and wrote like a long comment on this review that I had written of this book. It was like, it was like, it was, like, it was just like, it was like five pages. It was just so oh long and rambling. And I just remembered the first, um, the first sentence was, good grief, Sally, why so shrill? <laughs> and, um, and then, like, and then, like, it was like, like, like mansplaining point after mansplaining point, like this whole, like, long thing. And then I, like, like I was like, why are you, like, what, what, what's it to you, you know? Like, are you the author? And <laughs> <laughs> like, and like, and then, like, this, like, random commenter, like, denied that he was the author, but it was clearly the author because the <laughs> handle, the handle was auteur which is like French for author right so so then he like got like he picked a fight with me he was just like this is not like this is not like a like like your your review is characterized entirely by emotion and not by like rational thought I'm like well dude it's it's good reads <laughs> right it's good reads like like what like you think I'm like writing for like the like, freaking, like, New York Times or something, I'm like, Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, yeah, I got in a fight, and, and, yeah, and then I think about, I think (laughs) about that policing, right, I think about that policing, and how, like, like, good grief, Sally, why so shrill, like, you, you express emotion at being, like, objectified in this book, like, what, what, what's wrong with you, you know, like, I feel like we get fed that a lot, um, and, and so, um, yeah, and, and and vengeance, like vengeance, would be so sweet, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, this book is kind of vengeance.
1: And it's yeah, a, he wrote a whole poem about it, and it's like here forever. Good weeds can go away the next day. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <So>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess like mm-hmm. at this point, we can like open mm-hmm. it up to you guys if you had any questions or um, whatever, like thoughts. enjoyed your huh. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, the ethics of persona poems. So, I think, I think there's always kind of a responsibility when when we are writing in a voice that's not ours, right? It's not our lived experience. It's essentially a a persona poem is is. Just a lot of projecting, right, um, but I think, but I think, like as long as we kind of understand that, um, like I, I remember I was in a workshop, I think it was like at breadloaf, and I had just workshop one of these like anime Wong poems, and somebody in the workshop was like i don 't think this is anime Wong, this is definitely like Sally Wen Mao." Like 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 talking through the conduit of anime Wong, and then I realized that like that that's kind of true, you know, like I think. I think for me, I wanted to write in persona because I, I, I could really, like when I was reading her biography, I could really empathize with the things that she was feeling, like the, the otherness she felt and like the, the trickiness of navigating these um, cinematic spaces and like being a pu- public persona, all of these things that were 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 kind of feelings that I was interested in exploring. And I think I think the ethics are of persona is like are you are you exploiting your subject or are you really trying to you know trying to reveal the complexity of your subject? And 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 for me I I was I, I, I hope that I was doing the latter, you know? Yeah. Thank you.
1: Any other questions?
2: About that being
1: Asian. Uh, what if you wanted to write about, you know, shoes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's for both, you know, shoes. Have you written about shoes? I feel like you have <laughs> written about shoes exactly. before, too. <laughs> probably shoes and vengeance. Probably. <laughs> 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 but what, what do you, What about you?
2: Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like very. Much like this book is definitely a lot more about kind of Asian American identity and navigating that than maybe my first book. Like, my first book, I wanted to write about like honey badgers and, um, and like bees and like, and like, like idiots who like consume poisonous honey just for the f- fuck of it. Um, um, I think, I think there is. I think I think yes there is a lineage and and I think um I think it, it, w- it really wasn't until I kind of exposed myself more to kind of this live uh, living breathing like Asian American like uh literary community that I realized that I didn't have to really necessarily talk so much about um Asian American identity that can be more of a conscious choice. Like I thought, I thought you know, like when I was in high school and writing poems, I I thought that I had to write about the you know like like my grandparents and like um, you know like like this like these traumatic histories and not that I think that that's important to write about that and um but then I also kind of realized once once I was in kind of a larger Asian American literary community I realized like how diverse it is um uh, and and there is a lineage I think like like they talk about like what what's the first generation what what were they writing about what's the second generation what are they writing about but um I think more fluidly in terms of like a a community and like your influences like range from like dead people to you know people who are younger than you um so so for me once I once I found myself in like spaces like Kundiman um the Asian American like poetry collective um I I found out that I could really write about whatever weird thing I wanted really like it 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 doesn't matter because all of us, you know, like, like, belong to, to something, you know, even, even, like, we, we don't have to bear the burden of writing these, like, very complex traumatic histories all the time, um, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, I think that, like, for sp- specifically for like writers of color, the question of like who do you write for becomes mm-hmm. an especially weighted question. And like I mm-hmm. think to your to your like the example of like writing about shoes. I think in my experience in my MFA program, which was predominantly white, mm-hmm. it was like any time I wanted to write about flowers, it was always racially coded, no matter what. It was like mm-hmm. it was never about just flowers. It was just like oh, it's about like your relationship with your Asian mother and like <laughs> like grief. Mm-hmm. And I was just like no, it's just about. A flower at the (laughs) time. It's like it's not about that, but so Mm -hmm. it's always coded in that way. And then I think you get, and when you consider your community as only just that. I feel like you get really stuck. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, the spaces that um, Sally mentioned, like, Kundiman, like, having other Asian American writers who, like, Mm -hmm. who also write about flowers, but who write Mm -hmm. about it in a myriad of ways, like, Mm -hmm. tell you that, at least teaches us that, like, there there are so many entry points into writing and that you could Mm -hmm. engage with your history, your familial history, a larger social history in many ways, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily look Mm -hmm. like this really like, Mm -hmm. traditional narrative account. It can, Mm -hmm. you can, you can write like Liang Lee, Mm -hmm. you can write like Mm -hmm. Meng Mi Kim, you can, Mm -hmm. um, you can have different predecessors that are Mm -hmm. not necessarily even Asian American Mm -hmm. um, that you call, that you claim as your Mm -hmm. own. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a, that's like a really beautiful freedom to have Mm -hmm. when you can identify that there are other writers that, do things that share history with you but that do things differently mm-hmm. um, I think that opens up so many portals of just your own process
2: yeah and one thing about audience that I find kind of compelling is is you know in, in the first generation or or like when like I, I'm, I'm writing about anime wong and how she was a token right there was like nobody else who was who was in her position so she had to like bear a lot on her shoulders because she was the only one and and so she became like this representative of of all but I feel like the so so as a result like the the earlier generations um may have been more tokenized right like they 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 might be the only Asian American writer in like a predominantly white space so they're always kind of expected to perform like culture like the perform their culture basically to to an audience of of you know the majority or or whatever the the white people um but I think I think one of the things that shifted is is because I learned there are so many other Asian American writers I I I don't have to like perform for people who don't understand me. I don't have to, like, like for me, like I wrote this book primarily for people who know what it's like, what it feels like, so, so, so women of color, you know? And, and, I, and I think about that when I think about audience, right? So, so it's, like, it's like I don't necessarily have to explain myself um, because I can write for people who are like me, Thank you for that. Yeah, another question? Um, I actually just read about uh, your work in The New Yorker. So I think I like- oh, thank you. Oh, sorry, i so it's not to make the difference. That's very exciting for me. What is it like to read about your own work? <laughs> what, like an analysis of it. Mm-hmm. And, like how do like, intention and reception mm-hmm. you know, relate? It's, it's yeah. really cool <laughs> um, um because it's like whoa you excavated all of that uh, I didn't think about that but okay um that's often how it feels for writers um like or or like you have like once in a while you have like a really great reader who who really you know who will who will like I, I th- this happened with my first book like some some uh, there was a review that like likened my book to like being at a concert it was like this crazy mixed <laughs> metaphor and I was just like whoa that's great <laughs> not not maybe maybe not what I was going for but you know um yeah so a, a lot like the this book came out maybe a, like a month ago like exactly a month ago maybe like plus or minus two days um so I think what what's it like I I I just I I I don't get tired of it because I'm always like curious. Um, but what it is like, like that New Yorker thing that happened. Like my dad um, went into a bookstore and like bought like nine copies of it, and and um, and I thought that was really cute. Because, like, cause like, I feel like my dad doesn't really understand what I'm doing. Um, but then he could see something, like, kind of concrete, you know? And, and then, oh, and then, like, actually really soon after that, I came back from my, like, the first, like, my, my East Coast book tour part. And, um, and so my, and then my family, like, we went to China for a week to, um, to kind of celebrate my, my grandpa's 90th birthday. And... And, like, during that week, I had just never seen my dad like that. Like, he he was bringing that New Yorker, like, to show my grandpa. My grandpa doesn't know what the hell is a New Yorker. You know what I mean? Like my grandpa doesn't know and he probably doesn't care. Um, But then my dad would like start making lies. Like he would like make stuff up. He would be like, in 100 years, the New Yorker has never featured a Chinese poet. Like start making it up. Like he, he just like starts like inventing things and he would just tell them to everybody and they would all be like, oh, 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 very impressive. And like, I'm like, oh, but you know, they're all lies. Um, so I guess that's, that, that doesn't really answer your question. But <laughs> 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 thank you. Yeah, thank uh, you for that. Do we have any, yeah, any other questions? Oh. Well well- well, that is a huge question and i feel like I feel like I could probably spend the rest of my life trying to um trying to answer that question um but uh, like i think I think poetry does play a huge role um in in um at, at least at least like my my parents you know they the, the education primary school education they're always like kind of memorizing and reciting the great ancient poets but um but obviously that has changed like throughout different eras and like i i probably can't get into all the different eras um um but i i would say it 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 for me i think it's more um at least in my experience like I, I feel like poetry has become more prominent either like recently or or if you think about like the most prominent po- poetry in China might be like the ancient poets right like Li Bai like Du Fu like that those kind of poets. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you have a yeah, question? I have a yes. Question. Um, I, I'm thinking from a recent nylon piece and uh-huh.
1: so because like I'm thinking about like
2: sort of vision again and sort of what you're uh-huh. wanting others to see in ways in which maybe they're all seeing. So uh-huh. I don't know if there was like a more, it okay. just felt like you wanted to wear it then. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. Okay, great question. Um Yeah, so I recently wrote an essay for Nylon um, specifically about uh fashion and, and also like music m- Anna May Wong, and, like, back, back in 1936, that was the first time she ever went to China, and, um and she completely, once she got to China, I, I think she just went to Hong Kong, and Shanghai, and, like, her dad's village, but once she got to China, she got a lot of, like, shit, because, you know, because they had seen her movies, and it's, like, gives china a bad name and she she completely kind of changed her choices like it was the first time that she was in china and then she she kind of like saw for herself what the real china is like versus kind of these like images and these like stereotypes that she like kind of grew up with in america and and she changed her entire wardrobe so she like she she got a bunch of Chi pal made um in in shanghai and 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 then like you know before she was wearing a lot of like flapper outfits and stuff and she kind of just changed her wardrobe and like after that she only dressed in like um like chinese clothes like basically and and the qipao back then meant something very different than it does right now when, when we think of the qipao it's like ethnic dress and maybe like old right but but at that time it was kind of like modernity that's it represents like, like, what, like the modern um, Chinese woman. And, and, and so I think there was like, there was like, like deliberateness be, behind her choice. Um, and, so, and so in my piece, I also talked about being in Shanghai. I just came back from a residency um, in Shanghai. I was there for six months. I was staying in this crazy five-star hotel with like a bunch of other artists and um and while I was there I ended up buying like three Chi Pao and and I was also buying clothes for my um book tour like I I was like I was like I need to find like some good outfits um and one of the designers um that I found was uh uh, this label called Muxin it's a Chinese uh, it's a really young Chinese woman who like runs this label and she um and and she she draws from a lot of like real myths and traditions and like and like like contexts like she she really researches the um and she has like really elaborate names for her like collections like jade in the snow or like chaos of the mountains and the seas or it's like it's like really cool so i like i i um this this top is is from her like one of her um one of her collections and also this um this jacket which um I don't know if any of you know about this white rabbit candy. Um but but this is like a white rabbit candy jacket and um it says uh da tu zai which is like big rabbit baby or like big rabbit child, and and it, um, I thought it really represented me because um because I was born in the year of the rabbit, <laughs> and and also like I'm a big rabbit child, and like this reminds me of like childhood when I used to like rot my teeth with um, with these candies with these like milk candies, um. So yeah, thank you for that question. I <laughs> I, I, I do get excited when I talk about like shoes and fashion
0: <laughs> stuff, and
2: and also I'm wearing the, um fake Balenciagas from the <laughs> fake market. Um in, in 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 China they are like unfortunately not waterproof. <laughs> this
1: is another anecdote that like I found out that Sally you almost became a fashion student at Otis College. <laughs>
2: yeah I, I got in but like my Asian parents were never going to let me go to art school but so. <laughs> well, you have this really nice jacket
1: instead, so it's all good yeah. um,
2: thank you so much yeah. for talking with me
1: today and reading and um, I'm, I, I'm sure other folks have lots of questions for you too but mm-hmm. um, that they'll ask you during the signing but can yeah. we just give Sally a round of
2: applause Aww. thank you so much Mario. Yeah. thank you everyone for coming <laughs> and let like
0: thank Ariel.